Passover, the occasion we are celebrating as a memory of the greatest show of love in the history of the universe when God himself made himself flesh and he had the blood, the life in his blood and he shed it onto the last drop until water came out. And there was no greater show or proof of love that God did for us, brethren. So it's a great moment. It's a tremendous occasion. And we have to be fully prepared, hopefully by fasting and prayer before that occasion, brethren, and examining ourselves and being aware of the greatness of what we're about to celebrate, how God gave his own life to atone for sin. So we have to examine ourselves, like the Apostle Paul did advise us to do, and you can look with me, if you please, brethren, scripture that we all know very well. In uh, 2 Corinthians, at the end of the epistle, 2 Corinthians, in uh, chapter 12, the Apostle Paul speaking to the, our brethren in Corinth. He said in chapter 12 and verse 20, chapter 12, in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not be, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentious. First thing he mentions, contentious. We're going to see what's the origin, what begets contention. We have to examine ourselves, how is our life at home, where we are the real ones. Some people, like we say, there's a, a saying in Spanish, probably exists in English too, we are light of the streets and darkness of our own house. So this is time to examine ourselves about contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanliness, fornication, and licentiousness which they have practiced. We live in a time... It's very easy to practice immoral behavior in the secrecy of our homes, in our rooms, brethren, with the Internet and all what's available there, and on television, etc. So it's time to take very seriously the examination that he advises us to do in chapter 13 and verse 5 of the same epistle. So you just look at the same next verse. You find it there, brethren. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are disqualified. Maybe there are sins of ignorance that are there in our heart. 
And you know that it's very interesting to know that the sin of ignorance is also is still a sin, even if we don't realize we have it. That's why we have to pray to God to show us, show us the sins that are hidden to our conscience. Conscience. If you look at chapter 5 of the book of Leviticus, we have something that Christ did not come to abolish, but that is still very much in effect today. So that's why it's so important to ask God to show us things that we don't perceive about ourselves. In chapter 5 of the book of Leviticus, in verse 17, we have this. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden, to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. This, Christ said, this is not being erased from the law. It's still a reality, brethren, and I say it for myself. We find out many things that we have done by ignorance, attitudes, and sins that we are not fully aware that we still carry. In verse 18, it says, And he shall bring to the priest, that's our Passover, Jesus Christ, our high priest, we have to confess. Once we find out, and we have to ask God to please help us find out what's hidden because we don't want to be guilty in his presence when we go and take the Passover, which he paid precisely to forgive our sins. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish, that's Jesus Christ, from the flock with your valuation and it, as a trespass offering, Christ paid for us. So the priest shall make atonement for him with his own blood, which we are going to celebrate on the Passover time, regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know. And it shall be forgiven him. Remember, we have to confess our sins for them to be forgiven. So if we don't know, we better ask God to show us what we don't know about ourselves. And read, let's read verse 19. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. There is a sin, brethren, that we are not easily aware of. What is that sin? You know, the first sin that was committed in the history of the universe, brethren, was a sin of pride. Have you wondered why pride is a sin? And the first sin that was committed in the history of humankind was a sin of pride. Why is pride a sin? Do we have pride? Brethren, I'm sure I still have it. The Apostle Paul said, there is a law in my members. You know, we have assimilated the nature of the first one who transgressed the law of God through pride, through the prince of the power of the air. He's constantly transmitting his wavelength of deception. As we're going to see, pride is exactly that. Pride is a deception. Pride is having a concept, think of ourselves highly, that we should. And the Apostle Paul warns us, if you can read in Romans 12 and verse 2 and 3, 
or let's, let's look at Romans 12, he gives us this powerful advice, brethren, and he says in verse 3, Romans 12, verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Pride is when we think highly of ourselves more than we think that we are really is a deception, and we usually believe it. I'm the first one, brethren. I don't call myself guiltless of pride, and I ask God to help me understand. So why is such a serious sin, pride, and why we receive this advice, and we have so many examples that God gives to us? What is pride, brethren? Once again, pride is a deception. And the deceiver of the world was the first one to sin by pride. And he, we are all guilty, in a way, of that, those attitudes that we might entertain, brethren, and we have to fight against. We read in the book of Romans, in chapter 7, brethren, if you want to look at that with me. Chapter 7 of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul explains very well-known verses, he says in verse 23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That law is still there. As long as we have this body, physical body, brethren, that law, God has not taken it away. He has given us the power to put those attitudes to death day by day. We have to fight, brethren. That's what Christ said. If you want to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. And God wants, and he allows that to be a battle all the way to the end. And we're supposed to grow in being overcomers and to maintain under subjection those attitudes. As time goes, we are supposed, that's what God expects from us. So we have received that influence from the prince of the power of the air all our lives, and that influence is still there. So we have to be aware, because sometimes, because pride is a deception, it's easy to be deceived about it and not to acknowledge that we actually have it. So why is it a deception? If we look at... Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel chapter 28, I think God explains to us very clearly why pride is a deception. It's to think something of ourselves that we really are not. Here we go, chapter 28 is very well known by all of us in the church of God. And let's read beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up, you see, higher than it should be. And you say 
I am, actually the old King James says, I am God. Here in the new King James, it says, I am a God. But we know that he actually goes all the way. This is a human being. And you know that. I need to explain that to you. He's a human being. He's the common beast possessed by Satan, the devil. And he is deceived. He thinks he's God and he will go and sit in the temple of God as God, thinking that he is God. Second Thessalonians. You can verify that. We know that attitude is going to come and prevail around the world in a powerful way like never before. And we have to be very aware of that, brethren. So here, he's so deceived, he says, his heart is lifted up. And that advice we read from the Apostle Paul, we should not think of ourselves highly or think something that we are not. Let's not deceive ourselves. He says, and you say, I am God. And that's literally going to happen within a few years. Someone is going to be so deceived, going to think he is God. And he's going to sit in the temple of God as God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. It's interesting that the beast, and we know the false prophet, they're going to raise the tent of their headquarters between the seas, according to Daniel 11. I will not go there because this is not a sermon of prophecy. It's interesting to understand that. Between the seas, he will raise his tent in the holy mountain. And it's not well translated into King James. It says, and the holy mountain. Mountain says, in the holy mountain. We just read, what I just mentioned to you, Second Thessalonians. It will be in the temple of God or the place that is the holy place that where sacrifices will be stopped. And he says, I sit in the midst of the seas. So this applies to Tyre, who was in the midst of the sea. Well, applies also to the beast between the, red, the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea in the mountain where Jerusalem is. Yet you are a man, not God. I'm reading as it is written in the old King James. We know by prophecy, this is a fact. Yet you are a man who is terribly deceived, brethren. He believes and he thinks he is God. That's how powerful the deception is. Though you set your heart as the heart of God. Why? What was the sin of the devil, brethren? It was exactly this sin. He set his heart as the heart of God. What was the sin of Adam and Eve? They seed their heart as the, as the heart of God because as soon as they took from that tree, they were saying to God, we're going to take your place. We're going to decide what's right and what's wrong. That's why pride is a sin because we will transgress the first commandment when we are proud, brethren. We put ourselves in the place of God. That's why pride is a sin. It's a transgression of the first commandment. That's what Satan did. That's what Adam and Eve did. They say to God, we don't need you. At least Adam was not deceived. But it was a sin of pride. We are going to decide what's right and wrong. We will not take into account what you have to say to us. There it is. So, it says, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. 
There is no secret that it can be hidden from you. You know, brethren, one of the main sources of pride is knowledge. And the Bible says it, and you can look for it or write it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 or 2. It says, knowledge puffs up. We live in a time where there is much knowledge, brethren. And God describes an attitude in his church that believe that we might, it might be us, that we are more than we really are. We are deceived. God sees us as we are. And here, the knowledge of this man makes him believe that he is God, that he is bigger than he is. He is deceived. What does God say to the era that prevails and the attitude that prevails in our time? Let's read and see that's exactly what is happening here. In the church of God, many of us, and may God deliver us from it, may have that attitude, brethren, because of knowledge. So, let's read, and we'll come back to Ezekiel, to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And we see the deception that God describes in many in the church today. So that's why we have to take this very seriously, because it's a sin. Brethren, in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, God says here, chapter 3, verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, and this is the time we are living now, and this attitude might be in us, brethren, that's why it's important to examine ourselves and ask God to show us what we don't see in ourselves. And to the angel of the church of the Laodicean write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are not, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, remember this is exactly the wording for the, king, for the prince of Tyre, you say I am God. We have to be very aware of this, brethren. You say I am rich. That means someone is deceived. Someone, many probably among us, even myself, I have to examine myself and ask God, please, to show me what I don't see. Like David said in Psalm 19, show me, deliver me more secret sins. Secret sin doesn't mean in that context sins that we commit and nobody else knows about. It means sins that I do not know that I have that are hidden to me, who will understand his own mistakes. There's an amazing scripture. We might go to it, but it's good to read it before we take the Passover. Deliver me from secret sins. And the real meaning is from sins that I do not know that I'm committing. Or from attitudes. And here he says, you say I am rich. The, king, the prince of Tyre said, I am God. And he was deceived. He's just a man, as God is going to tell him a little bit as we read further. I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. Many today, brethren, our brethren, are in different groups, 
We don't need church government. We don't need a minister. We know it all. We already know it all. What do we need? A church. What do we need? A congregation. Each one is doing what is written in the book of Judges. Each one doing what is right in his own eyes. In other words, taking the place of God. That's going to be pretty serious. And he says, because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy. And we're going to see that knowledge and riches and beauty are the three, three main sources of pride. Riches, knowledge, riches, knowledge, and beauty. That doesn't mean that if we are not beautiful or handsome and good-looking and not rich and not very intelligent that we're automatically humble. We all are influenced by attitude and we got a higher concept of us than we should have. That the, main, the calling to this way of life begins with repentance, brethren, which is acknowledging what we are. So let's continue. Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that's how many of us, brethren, because they are brethren out there, Dr. Mary has taught us, you know, all the Laodicean churches and groups uh, that are around there and among us, we still have that spirit too. And then God shows how he sees us in this time, in this era. He says, because, and, and then God says, and do not know, there is the problem, a sin of ignorance. We're still guilty, even if we don't know it. And you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what we are if we think we know it all, brethren. Knowledge pops up. And a lot, a lot of knowledge was given to the church in the days of Mr. Armstrong. And you wonder, and I ask you the question, this sounds like a contradiction. How come we are advised by the Apostle Peter in the last verse of his second epistle, says, you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If knowledge pops up, how, how can we grow in the grace of God when God gives the grace to the humble and resists the proud? It sounds like a contradiction. How in the world can we grow in knowledge and grace if, like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge pops up? What's the answer to that? The answer is very simple, brethren. The answer is, if we seek knowledge, the knowledge of God's word, the knowledge of God's law, to apply to ourselves. Number one, me. Not just to have it as a theory in the head and start judging the others. The answer is very simple. It is in Psalm 119. Let's see how David seek knowledge with such passion. Watch what was his objective. In Psalm 119, we can read a few examples. You know, it's all about the law of God. And he says, teach me your law. Teach me your statutes. I seek to know your word. 
What's the answer? Here it is. We can read in chapter 119 of the book of Psalms, and verse 7. I praise you with uprightness of heart. And he says here, I praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. The desire to learn was to keep them, not just to know them. We know many people know about the Sabbath, and they don't, they don't keep the Sabbath. It's just knowledge. They know it's true, but it's not enough. Many know about the feasts of God. Why did Mr. Armstrong understood? Well, he understood because he put it to work first, and then God gave him understanding. First comes the knowledge. Then we have to put it to work. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 5. I have taught you statutes, and I have taught you my judgments. Put them to work. That's your wisdom. If we study and we do not apply to us, we will be like the hypocrite of chapter 7 of Matthew. We have a lot of knowledge to see the speck in the eye of our brother. If we do not apply it, to see the beam or this big thing that is in our own eye. We'll read it in a moment because it's important to keep that in mind. Let's see why it is important to seek knowledge. What's the purpose of seeking knowledge with passion like David did? In verse 11, Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against that was the desire to assimilate the word of God and learn it by heart. Keep it in my heart. Let's see, for example, the answer to that apparent dilemma. How can we grow in knowledge and grace when God says, when it's written, knowledge pops up, and then he says that God gives his grace to the humble. Here is the answer. In verse 33 of, the, of Psalm 119, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. That was the main absolute purpose of learning and growing in knowledge to apply it. When we apply knowledge, like God says in Deuteronomy 4, 5, I teach you statutes and judgments. Put them to work because that's your wisdom before the world. That's our wisdom as long as we apply it to ourselves, not to others. So we might apply it to others only when we have applied to ourselves first. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, that's verse 34, and I shall keep your law. Understanding, and I will keep your law. Many things we don't understand in the law. There are things still hidden there. That's why he prays also, open my eyes, that I may see wonderful things out of your law. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. That means to obedience. Let's see another example of how we can grow in grace and knowledge 
only when we apply knowledge to ourselves. They will be humbled before God when we understand where we are missing the point. And then we will grow as we repent and change and apply and walk according to that knowledge. In chapter 119 again, let's read verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. There you go. In verse 66, a little bit higher there. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. And I think we have one more example. But that would, that should suffice for us now, brethren. That's the right attitude we should have to grow in grace and knowledge. So let's continue here and read what happens when we do not know the law to apply to ourselves first. In chapter 7 of Matthew, Christ speaks to us this way. Chapter 7. Judge not, verse 1, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure of you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? That means if we have knowledge only to judge others, if we don't, are not judging ourselves because of pride, and we don't think we are, that's what we need to examine ourselves. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye and look and look a plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then, that means once we apply the knowledge of what I have to do, apply to myself, then I can help someone else. Not before. If I don't do it, if I don't apply knowledge to myself, I will be a hypocrite in the words of Jesus Christ. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly. You see? That will help us to see clearly. Otherwise, we are deceived. We don't have a clear vision. To remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's go back to Ezekiel 28. And then we have there... That knowledge can be a cause of pride if we don't apply it, if we just stay in theory. So let's continue here. In Ezekiel 28, verse 3, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom... And your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself. There is the second point. First, he's not applying it to himself because he's deceived. He's so proud he thinks he's God. But then he has the ability to make riches. And riches can be a source of pride. He says, you have gained riches for yourself. And gather gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade... You have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Can apply spiritually to knowledge too, 
we can apply if we have riches, then we might start thinking of ourselves more than we should be thinking of just because we are rich. Can this happen to us? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to see, brethren, what God warns us about this that can happen when we are rich. We live in a nation that is greatly blessed, more than any other nation in the face of the world. There is not a country like the United States of America. We do not realize how blessed we are. I live here, brethren. I been, came as a pilgrim. And God has adopted me into his people, spiritual people. I don't feel worthy of it, but I'm very thankful to be in this nation and to be part of the spiritual Israel of God. So in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, let's look exactly what happened to the beast. It can happen to us. It says here, chapter 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. And remember that Manasseh means to forget. We live in a country, and I love it, and I appreciate it and respect it, but the name means forget. Maybe many, like it was read read during the announcement, do not remember where all these blessings came from. That's a very serious mistake. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. It's amazing how easy it is to buy a house in the United States of America. Many people come for that dream, American dream. I just saw an ad that came to my mailbox. Are you tired of paying rent? Own a new house for $784 a month without down payment. I want to call and see if that's true. Well, it's just an amazing thing, right? There is no other place on earth when you have opportunities like that. So we have to be thankful for that. And here it says... Uh, Build beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and maybe it's not physical, but in the investment, in the equity of our properties, and all that you have is multiplied when your heart is lifted up. Riches make us think that we are bigger than we are. So, it says, and you forget the Lord your God, which is happening around us in this nation. It can happen to us also by the calling. Many have taken for granted the amazing calling to the truth, brethren. And it says, forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness. Well, let's read verse 17. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's exactly what happened to Satan, the devil. He deceived himself by looking too much at his own beauty and the riches, the majesty, the knowledge he had, 
And he came to the point of thinking, I can be God and take the place of God. The sin of pride, the transgression of the first commandment. You shall not have other gods before me. If I put myself there, I'll put in another god before God. And you shall, he says, then you say your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. So there it is, brethren. We can be victims of this. We might think, oh, that was just the devil. No, we are influenced by that power continually. We might be the victims of it. Let's continue here. <clears throat> and he, he says in verse 9 in chapter 28 of Ezekiel, Will you say before him who slays you, I am God? Because God is going to come a point where he will bring his to his senses. He who exalts himself will be abased. He who abased himself will be exalted. That's a law, and it works. I saw it coming from a dictator there in South America, very infamously famous. I said, boy, he's digging his own grave. And sadly enough, among the churches of God and the groups, we have the same problem today. Exalting. And that's a lot. It will come sooner or later, but it will come. It will come upon us. If we are guilty, we don't repent. But you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. We know it's Jesus Christ who is going, and us with him are going to throw the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And actually, it says to the pit here, verse 8, they shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Let's read here about the king of Tyre, and we will see exactly what the problem was, the same problem. In verse 11, it says, chapter 28 of Ezekiel, and verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. There we have it. Knowledge and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He describes the majesty that God dressed him with. Wonderful. And the music and the talent he was given. In verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you you were on the holy mountain of God. He gave him his existence. He gave him his majesty, his power, his riches, his wisdom. That's why I understand Mr. Armstrong used to say, the worst sin is the worst of ingratitude. That's exactly the sin that Satan committed. And the people of Israel, and some today in the church, brethren, ingratitude. We don't remember where those things came from. We're here because our Father decided to call us. No one can come to me except my Father draws him. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth 
in the midst of the fiery stones. You are perfect in all your ways. From the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. What iniquity was that? The sin of pride. Where is it? We can read it. We can know exactly what was going in the mind of Lucifer before the creation of humankind. We can read it in Isaiah chapter 14, brethren. What was the iniquity that he committed? He transgressed the first commandment. He put himself in the place of God. Chapter 14, verse 12 of Isaiah. This is that iniquity here, a sin of pride, brethren. How you are falling from heaven, he who exalts himself will be abased. We know he's coming again soon. He will try again to take over God's throne. He's so deceived, he thinks he can do it. That's the amazing thing. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, here is the sin, brethren. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And some says, actually it means, I will be the most high. He wants to be God, he wants to be worshipped. He's going to force people to worship him. If you don't, you will die. That's coming. He yearns so much to be God that he still will strive for it. During the Great Tribulation, he will force everybody who wants to buy and sell to worship him first. You will be like the Most High. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. He will exalt himself. What happened? He thought of himself what he was not. When we have a higher concept of ourselves that we should have, we are deceived. The big problem is when we act according to that deception, brethren, the sin gets very, very serious. What does happen when we start thinking we are bigger than we really are? What happens in our minds? What happens in our attitude? The, the word of God is just amazing. Let's read Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. It says, Proverbs 13 and verse 10 says, By pride comes only contention. <clears throat> you know, it's a better translation. Certainly pride will beget contention. Why? Because pride is a deception. And when we are proud, we think we are something we are not, and we deserve something that we do not deserve, and we are going to place ourselves where we think we belong. 
Can that happen to us? Let's read of Psalm 75, brethren. Psalm 75. Psalm 75 says, in verse 4, there is God speaking to us. Psalm 75 and verse 4. I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully, and, do, and to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Don't put yourself where you don't belong. Do not lift up your, your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. He's given all the cardinal points here except, but God is the judge, the north star where the devil wanted to take cover, seems to be around the place, the place where the throne of God is, in the north. So, exaltation comes neither from the east, let's not seek it anywhere, only from God. If we believe we deserve something, if we deceive ourselves and act accordingly, brethren, rebellion will be the result. Contention and strife. He says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the north, from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one, he exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. And actually, I think he's speaking here about the last place. But only from God can comes, can come promotion. Can this happen to us? Brethren, I live through it in the, in the global church of God. Among ministers of God. In the true church that was doing the work of God. Some people start believing thinking highly of themselves than they should, and they started to act accordingly. They started to plot. Like Satan did plot with one-third of the angels through murmuring and through gossip. I remember sitting with a couple of those leaders start speaking evil of Dr. Meredith. And I said, brothers, you don't know what you are doing. You go that path, and there is one called the accuser of the brethren who lies when he hears something like that. He comes and he puts more wood to the fire. And sure enough, they started to think they could take cover. They came when the, when the church had started in faith, a small group, and we were well established with the blessings of God, with great salaries. And they start thinking, there is another way to do the work of God. We know better. And they dared to put Dr. Mary out. And if a few of us in headquarters that were loyal, we were all put out of there. That's exactly what the devil did. And it can happen in the church of God. So pride, my friends, is serious. It begets contention. And there was contention in that office. But God knows what he's doing. And his work will continue. We'll handle the baton to the two witnesses, brethren, and this work, no one can, can stop it. 
They thought too much money was being spent in preaching the gospel and there was better. Like someone said, I didn't hear from them, but that was the purpose, to make a social club of the church and forget what's our commission. And they rebelled. And they put Dr. Meredith out. It's amazing. It has happened in the church of God, exactly what the devil did, through the same method, gossip and lies and murmuring here and there. He convinced one-third of the angels that God was not fair, that they deserved to be up there and rule the universe. And they did the same thing in the church of God, ministers of God. We know they failed. In less than a year, they were all dispersed because they were so proud that each one wanted to be the boss. And they start fighting against each other, and God divided them. Well, that can happen to us. So pride is a serious thing. It can happen in the church of God, in the work of God. It can happen to us individually. How do we know if we are proud, brethren? God has a method. I call it a high-tech instrument to measure our pride, brethren. It works. Do you know what it is? I'm sure most of you know what it is. It's right here in the book of Proverbs. Let's read chapter 9 of the book of Proverbs, and God will let us know if we have pride or not. In chapter 9 and verse 7 of the book of Proverbs, it says, He who reproves a scoffer, scoffer can be translated an arrogant one, someone who is proud. He who reproves a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man gets himself a blemish. Do not reprove a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Brethren, how do we react to correction? It's very easy. That will tell us how we are, really. If we have pride, if we have such a high concept of ourselves that we do not accept correction, from anyone. And that happens to all of us. That happened to me. Sometimes you say, how, how do you say that to me? Because pride is a deception. We don't see the problem until someone points it out to us. And if we are wise, we are going to thank the person. Thank you. Because that will help me to apply it to my life and to change and not to be deceived. So he says, do not reprove his coffer, lest he hate you. Do we hate, do we keep resentment for people that have told us the truth? Dr. Mary has always said, we have to take correction even if it's not made with the right attitude. We might learn something from it. That's hard, but that's the only way to deny ourselves and put our vanity to death and take the deception out of our eyes. We should be. This says, rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. There are people like that, brethren. Thank you. 
Thank you for letting me know. That's amazing. God loves that. And he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. If I'm not ready to accept rebuke, brethren, I'm not going to grow. I'm going to stay with my own deception, thinking that I'm okay, I'm all right, I have nothing to learn. And that attitude is very much present today in the church of God, brethren. And I speak for myself. I'm not trying to accuse anyone. We have to be aware of this. Now, when we do not accept correction, God tells us a few things that can happen. In chapter 12, these are strong words of the book of Proverbs. Let's see what happens when we are proud and we are not willing to accept correction. And it can come from anyone, not only from the minister. It can come from the wife or the husband or even our, our son or our daughter. They sometimes know us better than we think and let us know a few things. In chapter 12, verse 1 of Proverbs says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. This is the real knowledge. Knowledge to apply. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Wow. That's, that's a strong word. Stupid. Because we're heading in a bad direction. But he who hates reproof is stupid. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but the scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And the end result, there are many other proverbs that speak about how all the consequences, poverty and shame if we don't accept correction. But the worst is in chapter 29. Let's read it, verse 1. It's interesting, they're all on, on the, at the head of the chapter. 29, verse 1. He who is often reproved, that's book of Proverbs 29, verse 1, and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That's a strong sentence, brethren. God will not allow pride in his family. God resists the proud. He gives his grace to the humble. For us to be one with Christ, which Passover means, we have to be aware of that sin, brethren. And that we need to confess it and repent. I will read to you what I mentioned to you a moment ago in chapter 2019 of the book of Psalms, this st statement by King David. Chapter 19. Towards the end, he says, verse 12, Who can understand his errors? You see, we ourselves don't have enough awareness of ourselves to see all of our mistakes. We need each other like the iron needs the iron. We need correction. We need direction, brethren. We are not willing, we will not grow. He who can understand his errors, 
Cleanse me from secret faults. That's what I said. Other translations translate it better. It's not secret faults. Many people understand, like, I have a secret sin. I have an addiction to pornography and nobody knows. We have to be delivered from that, too. But here it's talking about the ones we don't realize because when we sin by ignorance, we're still guilty. It says, cleanse me from those that I ignore. That's what it means, from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. That's a plural of majesty, from great pride. David is asking God to deliver him from pride. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and shall be innocent of great rebellion. This is not well translated, sir. I did explain to you how pride begets rebellion. Now, brethren, sometimes we have a problem. We think we are very righteous, and it happens to us what happened to Job. What was the problem with Job? I don't think I will have enough time, but we'll go as fast as I can, my dear brethren. Uh, towards the end of the book, we see this man had a problem, but his friends were not able to detect it. They were accusing him, you might have done something, that's what this thing is happening to you. Indeed, he had a problem, but they could not pinpoint what the problem was. He had not transgressed any of the last nine commandments. He was transgressing the number one commandment. We are going to prove it to you from the mouth of the living God. He's the one who says that, not me. So it was a serious problem. That's why God put him through such a trial. I dare to say that the Spirit of God was with Job. But only after he went through that trial, the Spirit of God was in Job. Before, it was his own righteousness, and he was proud of it, my dear friend. Let's read it. 3431, it reads, Job 3431. For has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, and he had. I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. Exactly what David asked God. Teach me what I do not see. I have done iniquity. I will do no more. Now, the problem of Job, you know, brethren, and uh, I will try to find that scripture here too. I make sure in, verse, in chapter 27, verse 5, we see the, you know, through the fire of the test, the dross comes to the surface. God had to put him through that test, and that's what self-righteousness is so hard to uproot from us. I've been guilty of it, brethren. And God knows how to take care of it. Sooner or later, he doesn't want anyone to get lost. And read at this chapter 27 and verse 5, because they were accusing him all the time of things he had not done. In chapter 27, he says, verse 5, Far, it be, from me, far be it from me that I should say, you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My integrity. Remember, those are like filthy rags in the presence of God. Our own righteousness. That's how Isaiah speaks of it. My righteousness. My righteousness. I hold fast 
and I will not let it go. Brethren, that's pretty strong. And let's read a little bit more how he says, he justifies himself, and that may be our problem. Hey, I do everything okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm obeying God. She said in chapter 31, verse 1, he says, If I have, made a, I have made a covenant with my eyes, why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from high? So he kept the law of God. He didn't covet other women. Verse 5, if I have walked in falsehood, if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance, that God may know my integrity. That God may know my integrity. And he continues in verse 16. I have kept the poor from their desire, uh, or caused, if I have kept the poor from the desire, or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or eaten my morsel by myself, so that the fatherless may not eat of it. But from my mouth I reared him as a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the window, the widow. I have seen anyone, if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not blessed me, and if he was not warm with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, when I saw I help in the gate. Verse 24, if I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because wealth was great, and because my hand had gained much. If I have observed the sun when it shines. So he tells everything I'm doing okay. I've been generous. I have kept the law of God. That's my problem. That was something he could not see, brethren. And he was guilty of it. Like we started the message today. We can't read much more, but let's look here in chapter 33. And we see, the, here is Elihu still speaking. We're going to see God himself saying, what was the problem with Job? In chapter 33, verse 8 there, says, is Elihu still speaking, the younger? Surely you have spoken in my hearing. And I have heard the sound of your words saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent and there is no iniquity in me. Yet he, with capital, God, finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. And if in chat, those are words that Job said. Otherwise, they would not be here, brethren. Let's see where he was getting with his righteousness. And here in verse 5, he says, For Job has said, I am righteous. Elijah is still speaking. But God has taken away my justice. He's accusing God now. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable. Though I am without transgression. 
Chapter 35, verse 1. More Elihu answered and said, Do you think it is right? Do you say, My righteousness is more than God's? Brethren, where was he putting himself? And we might be guilty of this too, but we don't acknowledge how we are. We have proven things that happen to the devil has, can happen to us very much. For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have? And now, let's hear what God says himself. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkness counsel? By words without knowledge. There was something Job did not know about himself. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I led the foundations of the earth? That means what do you think you are? Brother, we have to look at ourselves, not to accuse Job here, but this profound lesson where this can lead. Tell me if you have understanding who determine its measurements. Surely you know. So you don't know as much as you think you know. You are deceived, Job. Don't, don't put yourself where you don't belong. That's what we do, brethren. Or who stretched, verse 6, the line upon it. To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? The angels singing when God created the earth. Now let's hear words of God himself to Job. Chapter 40, verse 8. It says, Would you indeed annul my judgment? Here is God speaking. Let's read verse 6, chapter 40, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? The contrast is huge, brother, but brethren, but we can deceive ourselves. Then Job answered in chapter 42. He acknowledged there was something he did not know. He was deceived. Says, then Job answered, 42 verse 1, to the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is he who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I did not understand things too wonderfully, too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
Job understood where he was placing himself and deeply repented of his spiritual pride of transgressing God's laws. Brethren, we have beautiful examples of humility. I didn't have time to speak about that today. One of them I can mention to you that you can, you can keep. Whom God does God look upon? Maybe I, I think my, my clock is a little bit behind. I don't know. Don't tell me what time is it. I will. <coughs> I love, you know, I, I love Daniel. When, when King Nebuchadnezzar came and asked him, when he was presented to the king and he said, can you tell me what I dreamed and explain to me the interpretation? What was the answer of Daniel? There is no magician nor Chaldean not anyone on the earth that can do it. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. What did Daniel do? Acknowledge God. What did Daniel, why did God gave his favor to Daniel? He said three or four times he was beloved of God because he gives his favor to the humble. Let's read chapter 9, how Daniel was confessing his sins before God. In chapter 9, I give you just a few examples here quickly. So I give the positive side, brethren, that ill exists. And Daniel was good-looking, he was rich, and he was wise but he was not proud. So you can have all those things and still be humble. So that's good news. And he might be a descendant of Abigail. Abigail, that woman who was beautiful, very intelligent, very rich. When David proposed to her, she went with five of her maidens. Five of them. She had more than that. She was the wife of a rich man. When he died, and she was beautiful, intelligent, rich, and humble. When David proposed to her to be his wife, what did she say? Behold the servant of my Lord to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. That was the most menial task could be performed by a slave and she was willing to wash not only the feet of David but the feet of his servants. Beautiful. That's positive. So there we have examples of humility that very inspiring. And here Daniel was praying to God. You know, chapter 9, verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. Verse 5. We have sinned. And committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and for your judgments. And what did the angel say? Chapter 9, verse 29. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, he wasn't hiding it. He says, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speak, speaking in prayer, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he informed me and, and talked with me and said, O oh Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understand. 
At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Why God gives his favor to the humble. And in chapter 10, the same thing happened. He says in verse 11, chapter 10, verse 11, we see the same situation. He says, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak. In verse 12, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. And in verse 19, and he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. God gives his grace to the humble. And you see, you can read two more scriptures in Isaiah that you know very well, brethren, but very inspiring, that will inspire us to be prepared for this Passover and ask God to show us what we don't see in ourselves. Uh, in uh, <clears throat> the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, you know very well this scripture. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all things, all the things my hand have made. And as all the things exist, says the Lord, but on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. So we have to pray to God to show us how he sees us, and then we will have that attitude, brethren, that we ought to have before his presence, because no one will justify himself before the presence of God. Anyway, I... Better stop here. I have some other very inspiring examples. The best one is the example of Jesus Christ. He always said, my words are not mine, are the words of my Father. The works I do are not the ones I do. It's my Father who does them. That's the ultimate example of humility. He did not believe in his own power, in the power of his Father. And we know how John, who Christ said, no man born of a woman is greater than him, you have to be born in the kingdom of God to be greater than John because what he said, he must increase and I must decrease. I cannot take what is not given to me from above. Let us ask God, brethren, to help us see ourselves as we are so we can take that Passover with a clean heart in the eyes of God.